Hey, folks, got a little snow finally. Actually looked like Colorado, didn't it, recently? Got me thinking about my friends at Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, more than 10,000 steel dealers around the country, so there's one uh, in your neighborhood, I'm sure. Go to Steel USA, S-T-I-H-L USA, and you're going to find all kinds of wonderful products with the snow on the ground, there's snow blowers, um, you know, ways to uh, remove the snow, and also you're going to see deals on uh, getting that equipment for when the snow clears and spring uh, blossoms here in the Rocky Mountains to clean up. Up your yard with trimmers, with mowers, with chainsaws. They got everything. Battery powered, my preference, electric, gas powered as well. And it's ridiculous how many products they have. From folks like you who try to get it done on their own to the professionals, Steel, S-T-I-H-L, check them out. As I am taping this podcast, chilly out today, wouldn't matter. I have my uh, Boyer's Coffee. Aspen Gold is uh, my go-to brand, and I have it delivered at home. You can do the same by going to boyerscoffee.com. They have great flavors. They have great products. They always have great deals going. In fact, uh, I saw right now they have 20% off on a number of their coffee products. So again, go to boyerscoffee.com to see exactly what suits you and have it delivered to your house. It's that easy. Or you can go to the market. Uh, we all go to the market and you'll find it at uh, your favorite grocery store as well. That's boyerscoffee.com. They've been brewing great coffee in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. Locally owned, locally operated, environmentally conscious, and a great, great member of our community. Feels better to drink their coffee. Boyer's Coffee. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part two of Drew's conversation with Dave Logan, talking about his playing days, his career path, and some candid thoughts about the CU football program. I don't have the slightest clue what the hell they're doing. It is just shy of disgraceful what they've done to that football program. There's a group or groups of people at the University of Colorado that would just as soon do away with the football program if they had their way. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into show number 130, 130 and the first show of 2022. I hope you all had a wonderful new year, a safe new year and are raring to go in 2022. You know, a lot of people always want to put the previous year, the last couple of years behind them because of the obvious, because of COVID. And I was thinking about this, you know, on social media, there were so many different tweets, good riddance to 2021, uh, you know, sayonara to 2021, never want to see 2021 and the like again. Um, And I understand that, believe me, we are all so over COVID and and what it has done to you know, so many people and, and, uh, you know, worldwide, that's, that's stating the obvious, but I also believe wherever you are, man, you got to enjoy each day, try to find a way to enjoy each day. And, uh, you know, each day that we're here, not to get overly philosophical and overly deep, uh, but you got to find a way to enjoy it even amid difficult times like COVID has presented. Uh, before we continue with the New Year's theme, a reminder to catch uh, the DNVR podcast with uh, Patrick Lyons concerning the Rockies and all the DNVR product. Uh, we had fun last week, did a little roundtable on DNVR, but Patrick Lyons uh, continues to uh, crank it out uh, each and uh, every day, at least during the week, five days a week on the DNVR podcast. And he's kind enough to uh, have me tag along once a week as well. So check them out, download, subscribe, all those good things. Uh, one of the things about New Year's, that um, I think we're all accustomed to. New Year's resolutions, man. Got to make a resolution. It's January 1st. Uh, I'm going to take this out of my uh, daily routine. I'm going to add this to my daily routine. I'm eliminating chocolate. I'm going to exercise more. I'm not going to use this colorful language this year, whatever it is. Everybody always uses January 1st as the jumping in point. And probably by January 10th, um, they're out. They've either broken um, or impaired many of those resolutions. And I've never been a big one on New Year's resolutions. And again, I get that we reset everything on January 1st. But if 
It's your goal to say, I'm going to exercise more. Why the hell can't you make that decision on February 10th, April 13th, May the 12th, June the 5th, March the 12th? Why, I mean, why do you have to say January 1st, man? That's it. I'm going to make sure I exercise uh, five days a week starting January 1st. Hey, whatever day it is, if you want to make a change, make the damn change then. So I've never been big on um, on New Year's resolutions. I'm not trying to be Scrooge. We haven't talked baseball a lot on this podcast the last five, six weeks for obvious reasons. There is a lockout. There's nothing to discuss. And now that as we tape this, we are five days into January and reports are that there are no meetings scheduled between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. A little bit concerning. And I have stated on a number of occasions on this podcast that I really wouldn't be concerned unless it was deep January, uh, closing in on February 1, and they're still a million miles apart. Because then you start to impact the start of spring training. And if spring training gets impacted enough, you are going to impact the start of the regular season. And as I have stated and many others on numerous occasions, in the world in which we live today, you can't miss games. This is not the NFL. I love baseball. You love baseball. We all love baseball. But people find other things to do. Look at the Broncos. I mentioned this uh, two weeks ago when the Broncos, for, for an important game, when they were still in it, they had 9,000-plus no-shows on an absolutely gorgeous Sunday afternoon. People have found other things to do. There's many more areas uh, to uh, go for entertainment. And I, I just I, I have my fingers crossed at baseball, both sides. It's not pointing finger at one side. Understand this. And, and the sad part about it is, and the frustrating part, is that good faith negotiations uh, seem like they can only take place when there's potential pain on both sides. And that pain only comes the closer you move to people not getting paid, which means games not being played. I just hope it doesn't come to that. And for me, and I, I'm not privy to what's happening behind the scenes, and maybe there are some back-channel communications, and maybe we're going to hear about meetings taking place, but they need to. I mean, it's January 5th now. We're, we're past New Year's Day, and okay, we've moved, you know, the, the second was on a Sunday, but we're now into 2022. They need to sit down, and they need to... Stop posturing both sides and find a way. Because you know at some point a deal's going to be done. You almost wish that they would, just like in, uh, you know, with player arbitration, that they would go to binding arbitration, you know, a, a three-person panel that they all agree on. We'll keep you posted uh, in weeks to come. Continuing in baseball, I saw the latest uh, round of Hall of Fame ballots that were revealed. The uh, Baseball Writers Association of the individuals, many, uh, you know, showed their ballot once they have submitted it on social media. And I believe Todd Helton is now, and he was up to 45% last year uh, in trending in the right direction, clearly. I think he's plus 11 now from a year ago, which means 11 writers who did not vote for him last year when he made a really nice step forward, an enormous step forward, have added him. So he continues to trend in the right direction. And it, uh, you know, further supports my belief that, uh, and others, that he will get in at some point. And years ago, I didn't think that the case. When he retired in 2013, I really thought it was going to be a struggle because of the Coors Field narrative. But people... Fortunately, are becoming educated on baseball at altitude and look at it differently. So that's great news uh, in terms of uh, Todd. Hey, I was talking to uh, somebody on the minor league side for the Rockies in the last couple of days. And I know I mentioned this when I was down in an instructional league in the fall, that the Rockies, and I know their minor league system has been, you know, beaten up over the last couple of years and uh, they have not 
been looked upon favorably by Baseball America and other institutions in terms of number of uh, prospects. But now they have in the lower minor leagues a large group of players that are going to have a chance to be really impactful at the big league level. Things are looking up. Now, these guys typically are more than a year away. They're probably in the neighborhood of you know, three to four years away, some maybe a, a couple of years uh, away, uh, but it's exciting. And one of the names I wanted to mention very quickly that I talked about with uh, this person who's worked in the Rockies organization for the last several years, somebody I have an immense respect for, uh, great baseball knowledge, and he's hands-on. I mean, he's in uniform. And that's Benny Montgomery. He was the Rockies' First pick in the draft, he's a Pennsylvania high school kid, just recently turned 19, went eighth overall. 6'4", plus-plus runner, center fielder, big, big power. And, you know, the first swings I saw, I'll be honest with you, on video, and you don't know where they were from and when they were from, you could see his strength, but the, the swing looked a little bit rough. Well, the swing, according to uh, my buddy in the Rockies organization, is completely different than what was circulated on video initially when the when the draft was uh, happening last uh, July. And he is he feels a guy that is going to be a big star. I mean, great work ethic, great tools. And you throw Zach Bean in there, and he, he thinks he can be every bit as good, if not better, than Zach Bean. And look what Zach Bean did uh, in A-ball last year in the California League. So there's a couple of guys right there that, that you know, three years from now, you could see Bean and Montgomery starting in the Rockies outfield. And uh, don't forget Drew Romo, who's hitting in the middle of the order last year, is a great defensive catcher, but his offense from both sides of the plate has really opened eyes. And uh, a guy that's gotten a lot of attention as well as Ezekiel Tovar, who got moved from low A to high A about halfway through the season last year, could be the shortstop of the future. So the lower minor leagues uh, possess, and I just touched on four guys, uh, mainly Benny Montgomery, but the lower minor leagues for the Rockies uh, is really looking good uh, as we embark on uh, 2022. Hey, segueing to football, this caught my attention, and perhaps it caught yours as well. Um, I'm a big fan uh, of college game day. When I'm doing a college football game, and it's later in the day, my day will start with college game day. Usually while I'm working out, I've got it on. Uh, this fall, I didn't do any college football. So, you know, my, my Saturdays are a lot of times on the bike. I'm watching, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, uh, you know, that Reese Davis. And, uh, you know, everybody loves Coach still. 80-plus years going strong. Uh, it's a great show. It's entertaining. It's uh, thorough, I think, in, in how they cover college football. And they were talking about recently, and, and Kurt Herbstreit, uh, more so than Desmond Howard, but they both were aligned on this. And they, and they caught a lot of flack because they were talking about players in college football who opted out of various bowl games to get ready for the NFL draft. Now it's not it didn't happen naturally among the final four teams um, vying for a national championship. And they found fault with that. They didn't understand it. They said, what happened to the love of the game? It's different now. And you know, they kind of waxed poetic about when we played, which I know all athletes, um, not all athletes, but a lot of athletes do. And it struck me because I have no issue with it. Now, if I was a fan of a, of a given school and they were playing in a bowl game, I want to see, yeah, the best representation of my school playing. But if I'm going to be honest, if the star wide receiver opts not to play in the who gives a damn bowl because he is projected to be a middle-round draft choice and wants to train and stay healthy, most notably, for the draft. I get it, man. They're making a business decision. Not a business decision about whether to tackle the guy in an interception return. I had to get that in, I guess. Um, 
but they're making a business decision. This isn't a tennis match. Football's not tennis. With all due respect to tennis, a sport I love, it's not a bowling tournament. The sport is inherently dangerous. Guys' careers, every snap, and their well-being are at stake. And if you're in the who gives a damn bowl on December 23rd, I understand if you have an eye on staying healthy because you have a chance to make a few bucks in the National Football League. So I didn't agree with, though I have great respect for Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard, I didn't agree with their take on that. I don't think you would see that, nor have we seen that, with the the final four teams. Now, we know that Cincinnati and Michigan have been eliminated. And by the way, I'll talk about the national championship game after the uh, interview with Dave uh, in a moment. But um, I... Uh, I didn't agree with that uh, that take. And football's, we know, it's dangerous. It's tough. It's it's a violent sport. And I would hate to see a player hurt when they have an opportunity uh, to, to make a living or at least a, a brief opportunity to make a living because that's really uh, how long most careers last in the not-for-long league, the NFL. All right, on to uh, our interview of the week, and that's uh, part two with Dave Logan, somebody I've known for well over 30 years, somebody I have great respect for. He's been uh, he's been a friend. He's uh, been a, a colleague, did the Nuggets with him for a period of time. We hosted a, a football show for several years, the, uh, the Big Eight Gridiron Reporters, I told you last week. Uh, it's not the Big Eight anymore. And uh, we uh, ha- have shared a lot of things uh, through the years. I think in part two, you're really going to um, have your eyes opened a little bit because Dave is very candid about his alma mater, uh, a school he holds very dear to heart, the University of Colorado, and where they are as a football program. Uh, you're going to uh, hear him also uh, talk about his, uh, you know, his coaching career. And we go down a path that... Um, I think we all do from time to time, but we but we do it so all of you can share where we shared with all of you. What's on your bucket list, man, as, as you move to uh, the next chapter or chapters in life? So, uh, again, I think you're going to have fun listening to it. It's part two of my conversation with uh, Dave Logan. You know him as the voice of the Broncos. You also know him as a former NFL player and a wonderful uh, Colorado athlete and uh, one of the great high school coaches nationally uh, over the last 40 years. And I think I can say that without argument. So again, part two, our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, Dave Logan. I'm going to take you back, Dave. Um, you, There's no reason you would remember the first time we met, but I do because... I want to say, and you, you doing the Broncos for all these years, and having played for them at the end of your career, you'll you'll probably be able to tell me what year it was. I want to say it was around '88. I'm standing on the sideline. The Broncos are playing your Browns in the postseason. It was the Ernest Biner. Tony Lilly picks up the fumble near the goal line, and the Browns went from going to be victorious to uh, another tough defeat against Denver. And I was standing next uh, with somebody, and they introduced me to you on the sideline. Uh, and we were standing there. I don't know if you remember watching it from the sideline, but what was that, 88, 89? What year was that? I, no, I absolutely remember watching the game. It was at the old Mile High, yep. uh, and I was on the sideline. I'm not even sure, now that you brought it up, I'm not even sure what I was doing on the sideline. You and I were doing nothing. We weren't do- I mean, I don't know who you were working for at that point in time. You weren't, I, I don't think, doing a ton of radio just yet. Um, but I remember we're standing on the sideline, and that play, Dave, happened where we were standing pretty much. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually was doing radio because I started with Irvin Joe, uh, like in '86, okay. and worked with them. Uh, worked with Jim Turner for one year in in between those years, and then went to KOA in 1990. But I remember standing on the sideline. And the funny thing about that, because um, I was not doing the Bronco games at that time, right? So I, I mean, secretly and very quietly, I'm pulling 
for the Browns. Sure. And the majority of those guys had been teammates of mine uh, for a long, long time. So, But I remember standing behind uh, Mr. Bolin and thinking, yeah, I, I certainly don't want to be clapping or cheering because that – that would just be a bad look. The game is in Denver, and I live in Denver, and I work in Denver. So that uh, that was one of the many, many disappointments that the Browns had when they played the Broncos. Yeah. I, I remember thinking as I stood next to you, this has to be a really strange feeling. I mean, you were born and raised in Denver. You finished your career with the Broncos. Even though you weren't working for the Broncos yet, you're doing radio, you're talking about the Broncos, and yet here's your team uh, on the other side. Um, and and clear, to me, I got it. I mean, you had to be rooting for the Browns. Yeah. No, I never, hey, listen, I never, uh, you know, I always pulled for the Browns for sure. And again, I didn't have that I really didn't have that affiliation with the Broncos. When I got traded from Cleveland to Denver, I only played four games. So, and, and it was embarrassing, you know, for me, just the way it ended. So I never, ever really considered my, even to this day, um, I don't go to any of the former Bronco players, um, functions. Not, not because I'm too good to go, but because honestly, I don't think I earned that. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't. I played for the Browns for almost nine years. Um, but for the Broncos, I was on that team for four, you know, for four games. I didn't earn, to me at least, the right to say, hey, I'm a former Bronco. So that, that's, just, that's just sort of how my little pea brain works. Do you know, I have to ask you, I've never asked you this in all the years I've known you. And and I know every when the end comes, every athlete. So I think some embrace it and say, you know, you know, it's it's time to move on. I recognize that, but usually, uh, the athlete's pride, the competitor, and I know what kind of competitor you remain to this day. Uh, that I had more in the tank. Do you feel that way? Different circumstance, different team, sort of thing that you would have been able to play a year or two longer and still been productive? Oh, I, I think I probably could have, Drew. I think that, um, <clears throat> I mean, in all honesty, I was um, I was relatively healthy for being a 10-year guy. Right? I'd, I'd been able to get to navigate through uh, the NFL wars, and for the most part, my body was in pretty good shape. Uh, I did, I broke my ankle playing in a charity basketball game, that spring, the spring prior to, and was the last year that I played with the Browns, uh, I was not ready for training camp and sort of, I worked through the season, but it did limit me. And so I, I know with that break, I had two screws in the ankle, I know that I lost a step. And so, um, but I, but I still, as you said, I still felt like I could have, I could have played. I had a chance to go uh, sign a deal with Seattle. Um, and frankly, the fact that I was in Denver, I knew I was going to live in Denver. And just the way it ended, I had real, uh, you know, real sour taste in my mouth. So I just decided that, uh, you know, it's probably time for the next chapter of life, whatever that uh, might be. Yeah. Um, when it came to basketball, did you hit any bigger shots when you were in Boulder than the um, in that three on three tournament that I was your teammate on over Greg Fiesel to uh, beat them 2019 and move to whatever the next round was? Uh, I tell you what I learned. I learned two things about that particular game you're talking about. You you actually were a pretty pretty good basketball player. I also learned that Greg Fiesel, who now is in charge of running the Rockies and was a former NFL lineman, was one of the biggest humans that I that had ever been around. <laughs> so you know, it, it became a little bit physical, and I'm thinking this is this is probably not a, a, the optimum opportunity for me to say. Hey, why don't we just uh, go step over here and talk? So, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the competitive thing, I always had that. I think I was just instilled in me as a kid and playing all sorts of sports. And uh, even to this day, I hate, I just hate to lose. I hate losing, I think, more than I enjoy winning, which probably means I've just, uh, I've just been around sports for a long, long time. You know, Dave, I've said, well, first of all, going back to that shot, I knew when you turned your hat around backwards and you said, give me the effing rock um, when it was 19 all. I said, well, you know, that's no problem. Here we go. We'll, we'll clear aside and you go to work. Hit a fadeaway jumper. It was awesome. Hey, um, I say this fairly frequently when it comes up, Dave, and, and no, no one could attest to this better than you because you were a professional athlete. As gifted as 
everyone is at the highest level, whether that be the NFL, the NHL, whatever the sport is, Major League Baseball, there's still a different level of competitiveness, even in that small universe of great, great athletes in the given sport. And I don't think fans fully realize that. Well, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, I've seen that firsthand. So, there, you know, as you said, anybody, and I can speak to the NFL. Anybody who plays in the NFL is is a really good football player, and at times, really a great football player. There, the league over the years has changed some of the rules and how they officiate the game, and the athletes today are bigger and faster and stronger. But, um, you know, there were great athletes. There are great athletes that have just played in that league for a long, long period of time. So. But there are guys that I think are just wired a little differently. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there are guys that, while they acknowledge that's their job, it's their profession. I mean, I've played with guys, and I've called the Bronco games for a long time. I've called games in which there are guys that play, and they're really good players, but they don't necessarily love football. They can play it, and they play it at a high level. But they they don't really love it. They don't, um, you know, every single day. It's not it's not on their mind during the season. Um, and I, I don't begrudge guys like that. I I, I could never. I, I just never could do that. I'd never. Uh, maybe I'd have been healthier if I'd have been able to do that. But I never could turn that switch off uh, as a player, and and certainly even as a as a high school coach now, uh, I've never been able to turn that off either. I know what a great influence your parents were on you, and and I know you know you, you lose mom this year, and and I remember you know way back when you lost your dad, and and being at that service, and if they were around, Dave, and they were asked when your son was seventeen years old, what was his best sport? How would they reply? Gosh, when I was seventeen. Um... You know, looking excuse me, looking back on it, Drew, I think I think they may have said baseball. Um I, I loved football and loved basketball, but I equally loved baseball. And um I, I was really raw. Uh so you know, I was drafted in high school as a uh, as a shortstop, but was a pitcher also and uh, and enjoyed hitting. But I, I, I think um you know, I, I don't know. I think I could have played baseball. I would have had to learn to, you know, to stay back on the hook. And because I was a fastball hitter, as most guys, even at you know the level that you call, most guys are fastball hitters. They learn. They learn to adjust to off-speed stuff, to anything that that is a breaking ball. But um, I think they may have said baseball back when I was seventeen. What, what was yeah. sa- what was second, Dave? Was it was it if if, if baseball truly was. Was maybe slightly better than it was. Was football too, or was basketball too? You know, honestly, it depended on what 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 I was doing. Right. I mean, I, I I was one of those kids. I was such a sports nerd that I just loved what I was doing. So when I was playing football, I mean, that was my entire world. It was it was all about football. But the day football ended, that next day, I was all about basketball. I mean, I was yeah. ready to go. Let's. You know, it took a while to get into basketball shape and that sort of thing. And then the same thing when basketball ended and for baseball. I just always was, um, I, I just grew up always enjoying and learning how to compete all the time. Compete in practice, compete in, in a season, compete on a daily basis. And it just became sort of, uh, you know, part of, I guess, you and I always use the phrase our DNA. I think it just became part of my DNA. I remember you telling me your dad used to, in the summers, uh, to get better competition, toughen you up. And, and, and you have to remember, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, late 60s, early 70s. He would take you down to five points um, and, and play against kids that didn't live, live in suburbia, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I um, uh, and then honestly, when I when I got into high school, I was able, able to drive. I just always, you know what, I always looked for, for the best competition. And I would yeah. go down to the 20th Street gym. I'd go down to Red Shield. Um, not that I never played out in the suburbs as well, but I just always enjoyed playing against the best players, players that would, would test your uh, ability in, in, sure. in different ways. So, and, 
you know, I developed some really, really close friends down there that, that, that honestly are still, a lot of those guys are still my friends today. So it's, um, you know, it's, you, you sort of, I learned that it's, it's challenging to step out of your comfort zone, right? And to, in, in terms of sports, to play against, um, the competition that is just going to test you and also is going to make you better because you have, you either have to get better or you never, you know, back then it was, uh, you win, you stay in the court. You either got better or you never got a game. So, um, you know, it was really, I was blessed in that sense that, uh, that I was, uh, that I was accepted, uh, to go down there and, and play. And, uh, I tell you what, I learned, uh, I learned a lot about basketball for sure. How close were you to becoming a Cornhusker? Real close. That was the first time. I mean, you talk about living back, uh, when we were driving covered wagons, but that was the first time I ever was on an airplane when I was a senior in high school. I mean, I was scared to death, never had been on an airplane, any sort of traveling that I would do. We'd go down my mom's side of the family was from Texas. We'd go down uh, in the summer and see them, but we always drove or we took the train. <clears throat> so uh, I remember flying to, uh, to Lincoln and getting picked up. David Hum, the late David Hum was my host and uh just absolutely loved it. Um you know coach Osborne was there and got to got to meet coach Devaney that was uh, he was I think retiring at that point. Um but I came home convinced that I was uh, that I was going to go to Nebraska and then uh wanted to change my mind and and I think I made the right choice staying uh, staying in state and playing at CU. Was Nebraska going to allow you to play basketball as well? Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't even, I mean, those, you know, those were sort of the rules of engagement for, for me and my family. I was, you know, I was either going to play two sports or I was not going to consider, uh, going to that school. So, um, Notre Dame was going to let me do that. Uh, Digger Phelps at that point was the coach and coach Barsegan, uh, was, was the coach and both of those, uh, actually both, they came together and sat in my parents' living room, uh, which was, was kind of cool, but, Notre Dame, USC, um, I'm trying to think where else. I, I visited SMU, um, you know, but, but ultimately, listen, I wanted to stay close to where my, my family could see me play. And at that point, the University of Colorado was really on a pretty good roll. Um, and so I just felt it was the, it was the right move for me to make. What, what's your fondest memory of, of your years in Boulder? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I got recruited by Eddie Crowder, and I love Coach Crowder. Uh, right. Just, um, you know, I just enjoyed playing for him. And honestly, Drew, I would probably think, you know, my sophomore year, which would, turned out to be Coach Crowder's last year, was probably my best year as a player. And that's no disrespect to Coach Mallory, who came in and took over. Uh, and we lost Coach Mallory recently, had a chance to go up and uh, uh, spend some time with his family up there, as, as many of the former players did, showing our respect. But... Um, you know, sometimes as a player, <clears throat> you just you find that you play better for for certain coaches. You're, you you get you get put in different situations, and I I just think my sophomore year was probably probably my uh, my best year. So I mean, uh, we beat the University of Oklahoma my freshman year when they were ranked, I think one or two in the country. I don't I don't even know if I played in that game, but the atmosphere at Folsom was just uh, unreal. I remember that. Um, you know, plenty of plenty of big big games, both in in football and basketball. We in basketball we played uh, UNLV and uh, Long Beach State when Tark was the coach there, and then we just played some great great players over the course of time. Had a chance to uh, be on the uh, Big Eight All Star team that traveled for a month in Yugoslavia, played with Alvin Adams, and uh, we found out that the, we played the Yugoslavia national team. Ten times over that three-week period, and you know we were eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, and they were twenty-six, twenty-seven, and twenty-eight grown men. Uh, so you, you learn about the physicality of of uh, international basketball and what they allow to go on. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade. <clears throat> I wouldn't trade my time at the University of Colorado for any place else. More with Dave Logan in a matter of moments, but first this for Ideal Home Loans. Ideal Home Loans can help you take cash out of your home to remodel. You may be thinking about doing that, staying in the old abode and you need a few extra shekels, don't we all? Well, 
Give them a call at 303-867-7000. That's Ideal Home Loans at 303-867-7000. And Brent Ivinson and his great team will take care of you. If you're not sure if you have the lowest interest rate, as I've been telling you for a number of years, make sure by giving them a call, you get a second opinion. Even if you think, hey, I got a swimming deal, man. I got a great deal. Give them a call. 303-867-7000. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They don't hand those things out. They've earned it over more than 20 years. They've earned your trust here in Colorado and really throughout the Rocky Mountain region. It's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Now back to more with Dave Logan. I would think, because I've talked to you about this before, you know, I'm jumping around here, but when you went to to Cleveland, in all those years in Cleveland, and you had so many good years, and it's before they, you know, teams threw the football with the frequency they, they do now, are you asked more about that, you know, the, the play where you're open and, and unfortunately Brian Sype went a different direction and Mike Davis picks it off? Is that, is that like the number one play? asked of you, especially when you run into somebody who has an affiliation to Cleveland? Well, that, you're talking about Red Right 88. It's, uh, yeah. it's a play that will forever live in infamy, I'm sure, for Browns fans. But, uh, so, we, yeah, we talked about that. That was, that was a playoff game against the Raiders. I believe it was the second coldest playoff game in NFL history. I think the actual game temperature was uh, minus two, but the windshield was uh, at 40, 40 something below. And it was just, it was, I mean, the conditions were so uh, unreal that, you know, you couldn't even, I came out of the uh, the old municipal stadium uh, walking up the steps of the dugout because it was a baseball football facility. It had normal cleats on. It just fell uh, completely on my butt. Uh, couldn't stand up. The field was completely frozen. Went in, put on turf shoes. Couldn't stand up in the turf shoes. And I wound up that day wearing a pair of broom ball shoes which the trainer the equipment guy had uh, sport in canada they had little suction cups in the bottom but it was i mean it was just brutal and it was a you know the ending was even uh, worse than the than the condition in terms of the temperature because we you know we had had such a great year we were 11 and 5 won the AFC central started the season 0 and 2 um but we had of those 11 wins uh, no, I think of the of the 16 games. I think we had 11 or 12 that ended in the last two minutes. Either way, so we were down 14 to 12. Raiders went for fourth and one uh, on our 30. Didn't get it with like three minutes to go. We drove the length of the field, and then on a second down from the 13, the kicking game was really dicey. We'd missed two field goals and an extra point uh, already in that game, but um, we went for it. Just trying to score a touchdown, and, and obviously it didn't work out. And the, the ironic thing about it, Mike Davis, uh, who we lost recently, uh, unfortunately he's gone. But uh, Mike was a college teammate of mine, and wound up intercepting the ball. And Mike, God rest his soul. I mean, if you stood in front of him and underhanded it to him from five yards, it was a fifty-fifty deal whether he would catch it or not. But he made a hell of a catch in really adverse conditions, and the Raiders went on and uh, and smashed the Eagles that year in the uh, in the Super Bowl. Were you were you primary on that? Uh, on on yep. you, that's what I thought. Yep, yep. We uh, uh, I was I've always played the X receiver, and in that alignment, um, we were very concerned about Lester Hayes. Lester Hayes that year, I think, had thirteen interceptions, and so he was a premier corner and a corner that played linebacker at Texas A&M. So he was a big, physical, fast, fast guy. So we felt the matchup on the other side. We ran just a little rub route, and uh, we, we knew they'd be in man coverage. Um, and Brian just thought he could squeeze it into uh, to Ozzy. And as it turned out, Ozzy was doubled. Um, you know, and, and those are things that uh, you carry with you forever, right? I mean, there's no way to erase the memory you just have to. You just have to say, you know, uh, that play. It just. It just wasn't our time. Yeah. It, has it been more exasperating over the years for you on a personal level to see the struggles, at least the last, more or less, the last twenty years for your alma mater, or you know, for what the Browns have been through? Wow. Um, 
Well, I mean, I, both both of those, you know, the the Buffs mean a lot to me, and as do the Browns. Uh, I, you know, I hope that before we go ten toes up, the Browns can find a way to uh, to get to the Super Bowl. Something they've never been able to do. I would say because I live here in Denver and just am close to the university, it's been difficult for me to watch really what has happened to that uh, to that football program. And, and you know, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Dave, knowing as much as you do about how sports work today, and and there are different levels, as we know, even among I still call it Division One A, whatever F, FBS, whatever. Um, there are completely different levels, and we know where those levels start. Um, is it realistic um, to think that Colorado can get back to where we saw them in the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy on that because I'm always yeah. going to say yes. I, I don't think there's any reason, no acceptable reason, why that can't happen. Now, now you, you know, can they play for the national championship in back-to-back years? I don't know about that. But they should be a hell of a lot better than what they've been uh, the last, whatever, 15 years, 15 years plus. Sure. I mean, it's just um, you, have a, you have a certain uh, group of people up there that have been uh, empowered to make decisions that I don't have the slightest clue what the hell they're doing. And I can say this, and uh, you know what, if if people up there hear it, they probably won't like it, but honestly, I don't care. I'm telling the truth. And um, it is is just shy of disgraceful what they've done to that football program. And I've said many times before, and I think this is probably, there are people in Boulder that, that don't care for me because of this but there 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 are uh, there's a group or groups of people at the University of Colorado that would just as soon do away with the football program if they had their way and what we've done is we've empowered those people we've uh, we've given them a voice in terms of what should or should not be done with the football program and and also there have been you know there have been some bad hires there've been some bad fits up there and yet there are people that are still in power that decide what direction the program goes. So it's, and until they address the, the, the root of the problem, you're going to get exactly what, what you've got. You know, you get an occasional really good year, but can you sustain that? I, I like Carl. I mean, I've known Carl Durrell uh, since, well, for over 20 years. Uh, and I, I think Carl's a good man. But... Uh, there are still people, evidently, that that call the shots with respect to what players they recruit and who they go after in the state. I don't have any idea what the hell they're doing uh, with that. I, I really don't. I, I had a player two years ago. I'll just just put this out there. Who is the best player in the state by far? All right, University of Colorado didn't recruit him. Now I don't have a clue as to why, except what I was told was he didn't fit the prototype of what kind of player they were looking. Well, what, then you need to change your prototype, right? He, he he got a full ride to Iowa State. Any college football fan right now, if you ask them, uh, who right now, who's got a better program, Iowa State or CU, people are going to say Iowa State. So he's good enough to go to Iowa State, but he's not good enough, and he wanted to stay in-state and go to his school. Now, you know, um, as as a coach, you have to have the ability to make the decision on what kind of players you want or don't want. What I've been told is, though, there are a couple of people up there that really influence those decisions. They decide really what kind of players the, the university goes after. And you'd have to do one of two things. You'd have to change those guys' minds or you have to get rid of them because you're missing out on good players in this state. I'm not naive enough to think you can win solely with players from Colorado, but there's no damn reason that a lot of these good players should be leaving state to go play elsewhere. It's I, I've not liked it, and I haven't liked it for a long time, and I've spoken about it, Drew, and they get tired of hearing me up there, and frankly, I get tired of hearing me too, but I really don't care if I piss them off or not. 
No, and and it's it's been a big topic, and clearly I, I, we know Colorado's not Georgia, it's not you know California, it's not Texas, it's not Florida in terms of being a recruiting hotbed. But having said that, there are. I would think, Dave, you would know far better than I would. You know, I do watch a lot of high school football. Um, there's at least oh a, a dozen or maybe two dozen kids that would have an opportunity to play at the University of Colorado and be and, and hopefully some of those kids would be impactful. And yet, until Page, that that uh, athlete, wide receiver, and he can play in the secondary too. Till he flipped from Boulder Fairview from from Nebraska to see you, one of the top 15 kids. And I watched your team play, Dave, uh, in person a couple of times this year. The Fitzpatrick kid is is a rare breed, correct me if I'm wrong, is an offensive lineman. He's going to the Buckeyes, and I don't know what the situation – I know CU offered him, but I can see why you get upset. Yeah, it's it's, – I get upset because I want him to win. Sure. Right? You got you got people up there that uh, that act like they want want them to win. Uh, they get upset when I get upset, or, or people down in Denver that get upset. You know what? How about you win some games? That that would be what I would say. And again, I want to make sure I say this. I'm a fan of Carl's, right? right? But but even before Carl, I mean, you go back to Christian McCaffrey. They didn't they didn't do a good job with Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you don't have to be the smartest person in the world to look at Christian McCaffrey and say, huh. I think he's going to be pretty good in college. You, you don't have to. You, 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 I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure figure that one out. They didn't. They didn't do a good job. So again, um, there are people in place that have been in place uh, through multiple head coaches. I don't know how these people got put in place, but they evidently have a real say as to who the University of Colorado, from a football standpoint, recruits. And I don't know, uh, you know, I've been on many, many planes in my life, traveled a lot, but you know what? That doesn't mean that I think I'm a pilot, right? I can't fly a plane. Because you played football, that does not necessarily qualify you as the end-all, be-all with respect to evaluating talent. How did you get that job? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Miles Purchase – uh, last year was the best player in the state. Period. In, 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 I, when I say period, in my humble estimation, there wasn't anything he couldn't do. He was an all-state corner. He was an all-state return man. He could have play, he'd play in the slot in nickel. He could have been an all-state receiver. And honestly, had I played him at running back, he'd probably been the all-state running back. All right, he's good enough to get offers, but not from the University of Colorado. So I, I don't – I'm not smart enough to figure out, evidently, why that is. And uh, But it does – I just don't get it. Hey, hey Dave, and, and, and I, I – because, again, I've known you for – we're both getting old, but 30-plus years. And I, and I know that you've done everything in your life with great humility. There were a couple of opportunities where your name, when when the head coaching position opened in Boulder, and with the great great success that you had at the high school level, I understand for a lot of people in you know other ports they go, wait a second, you're hiring a high school coach, but sure. your name was prominently mentioned. Did it ever go anywhere? And had it gone somewhere, two prong question, would you have? Taken, you know, taken the reins, so to speak, and said, "You know what? I'm I'm going to run with this, even though you were doing so many other things." Well, um, I'll I'll answer sort of in reverse, right? Um, you pick and choose really what path you want to be on uh, with respect to your job to employment. I mean, I I, I could have. I mean, I was offered. Uh, I've been offered uh, assistant jobs in the NFL. Um, I just didn't want to be that guy that moved my family around as many times as I know you have to do if you're an NFL guy. If I would have done that, would it have put me in, in better position to possibly, you know, be considered uh, to be a head coach at University of Colorado? The answer to that is yes. And the only person that, um, you know, that is culpable in that situation is me. 
So um, I was offered the head job at uh, UNC back in 2012. I just really couldn't make that move um, at the time, just from a financial standpoint. I just, I just, you know, I would have been entirely selfish with respect to my family had I done that. But I think had I taken that job, would it have put me in a better position? to maybe be considered for another head coaching job in college? The answer is probably yes if I had any success, but I chose not to. So I'm, I'm you know, my aspirations, my career path is, is partially responsible um, for, I don't think, ever truly being considered to be the head coach. And I, to answer your question, uh, yeah, I mean, I talked to a couple of people up there, uh, and I think, I think this, um, and, you know, I talked to one of the ADs up there who's no longer the AD, and he said, Dave, listen, you know, if I hired you as a head coach, I would get absolutely killed. And I, I understand that. I do. Because while there would be some people that would say, okay, it makes sense, has a lot of Colorado connections, went to CU, loves CU, the whole nine. I mean, a lot of people would say, wait, wait a minute, you're hiring a, a high school coach. There's not a real good track record. Of, of colleges hiring high school coaches straight from high school to go be the head coach at a university. So I understand that. I also think there, I don't think I know, there's a, there's a small group of, of people in place up there that are not, uh, you know, not huge fans of mine. And I think uh, I probably haven't, um, you know, I, I haven't helped that situation because I, if that's the way they feel, that's the way they feel. And these people, you know, a couple of them are still in place. They're, they're back, back when, um, there was an opportunity when, um, I'm trying to think what year this would have been, Drew. They were, they were talking about, um, well, it was when John Embry became the head coach. Right. Bill McCartney was going to come back and, uh, had told the people up there he, he would come back and be the head coach. And Mac and I talked about if that happened that I, I was going to be his offensive coordinator. Um, and that, that, uh, you know, that thing got, got shot down. Now, maybe it was the right thing to shoot down. I talked to John. John Emery's a friend of mine. And John and I talked a little bit about possibly coaching. And then, uh, and John came in and had a couple of years and it was, it was tough sledding. So, um, that's a very convoluted answer to a really succinct question, but uh, yeah, I mean that would have been the one place I think that I would have said if that opportunity presented itself, I would have said, you know what, I'll stop everything, I'll just stop everything and give this thing a, a go. I think, but two things: one, I didn't help my myself by not accepting assistant coaching jobs along the way, and so that's on me. And the second thing is it's probably better for my health, honestly, because I know this, um, if, if I would have taken that job, um, I would have felt just such a personal pressure to win up there, and uh, I mean, that would have been really difficult if we proved to be unsuccessful uh, I, at that, that man, I, uh, I think I'd have probably taken years off my life. Does that answer my, my next question? Um, cause I, I, you shared with me some of the opportunities, you know, uh, Mike Shanahan being one, if, if I'm not out of school mentioning that where, where you could have, uh, you know, changed your path a little bit. And I think ultimately with your leader, leadership skills and, and your obviously coaching ability, that you would have had head coaching opportunities. Is there any regret though, Dave, or do you look at it and go, you know what? Life's been really good. And from a health standpoint, which you just mentioned, probably better off. Yeah, no, there's no regret. Uh, you know, uh, coach Shanahan did offer me the job. That was back in 2000. And, um, uh, that was, I mean, that was, that was a really intriguing offer for me. I have such respect for Mike. Mike was my position coach uh, when I got traded to Denver. It was his first year in the NFL. So I'd known him and, and just had such high respect and still do for his football acumen. But the reality of it is I, I was a single dad, and, and my daughter was going into eighth grade at that time. And when I when I talked to Mike about the schedule and the hours involved, I mean, the, the first three days of the week, I would have left home before she got up and was not a – have been able to get home until after she was in bed. And I just, I, I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't 
make that decision. I just didn't think it was the right thing uh, to do with respect to uh, to my family, uh, my daughter. So, so no no regrets in that regard. Are, are there regrets in terms of? Loving football and watching and breaking down film and um, you know watching every single play from certain teams and uh, I love the strategy of football for sure. I think it's a I think it's a difficult game, but it's a it's a great game. So in that respect, sure, I would have loved to have seen sort of you know what I could do because that's that's another big big challenge. Two prong question to let you fly on. Is there anything you would change about the journey? thus far and there's still plenty left uh to navigate and with that in mind do you do you put together uh either you know privately or or you know just you know on paper or in your mind uh, some sort of bucket list um and I'm believe me you you got a lo- you got a lot left on the road so I'm not trying to bury your ass but um you, you know w- would you change anything about the journey and and looking forward are some things that you still want to uh experience if you will yeah, I mean, I, there, there, are, there are certain things I, for sure um, that you want to you want to do. I'd like my golf game to get better. The, the high school coaching is really, um, if you're going to do it the right way and work all summer, it limits how much golf you can play. So I'd like to create some more time prior to June where mm-hmm. I can go out and uh, you know and get my golf game a little a little bit better. Um, I don't know about things that I would change. I think you you try to navigate life, and um, there, certainly there are there are things. If you look back and spend enough time thinking back to that were either uncomfortable or didn't go your way, that you would say, okay, had I had I done something different, had I said something different, had I approached this differently, could I have avoided that? But I think everybody would would have those. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm a person that, that, that tries to look ahead and, and I realize this. I have been so blessed, um, in so many ways with what I've done, um, and been able to do and had opportunities to do that, uh, that I, I really look at it that way. I do want to see, uh, an Army Navy game that would be on the bucket list mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and there would be, you know, I've got, uh, I took three of my coaches down. We went to spring practice for four days, got invited down to Tuscaloosa, uh, with Coach Saban and got to hang out, uh, there, which was on my bucket list because I'd never seen the University of Alabama campus. Had the same thing happen with Florida State the following year. Just, just stuff like that from a football junkie standpoint growing up and some of the really cool places that you remember as a kid and, just had great history to them. I, I, I do enjoy having the opportunity to, to see some of those places. Well, at another time, I'm going to ask you, I didn't know that, I'm going to ask you about uh, your impressions in particular of uh, how Saban runs his entire operation, how he runs his practice, and et cetera. We'll do that, uh, we'll do that privately at a different time. Dave, man, I, 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 you know, uh, you are, uh, as a professional, a fellow colleague, and, and as a friend, because you and I uh, uh, you know, have known each other a long time, I really uh, appreciate your journey. I appreciate everything you've accomplished, and um, uh, I'm, I'm Thank you, Corey. Uh, you're so you're a good friend much, of mine man. as well, and uh, uh, enjoy doing it. We'll catch up soon and uh, and have some more stories. You know, Dave's always very candid, and one of the areas he was candid about was the fact that I look at him as a point guard and a half. And I, and I said this, and it was not at all to take a shot at Rick Lewis, who uh, you know does a really nice job in the booth with Dave currently. And uh, in the past, Scott Hastings, my former partner on the Nuggets. But, you know, Scott was a basketball player. We all know that. And and Rick, you know, has been a great DJ and uh, other things uh, in this town. Uh, but when it comes to football, you know, Dave crosses over and he's a play-by-play guy, but he also breaks some things down. And he acknowledged that. And I think people like myself, like you, enjoy his analysis because, after all, he played a decade in the National Football League. He coaches football. So his expertise and his breakdown, even though he's calling the game, to add to what Rick brings and in the past what Scott Hastings brought, I think is an unusual and very important element of their broadcast. 
And, um, you know, I enjoy that. And it got me thinking, how many former players in any sport have been able to cross over and do play-by-play? Typically, you know, guys like myself who didn't play at the professional level are doing play-by-play, and guys who played professionally or coached professionally or, or at the major college level, that sort of thing, are your analysts. And they get typecast as such. They're going to come in and they're going to be an analyst. And, uh, you know, the guy who maybe went to school for it, like myself, they become the play-by-play guy. So Dave's one of the few that has crossed over and is the, the point guard of a broadcast, if you will. And uh, the, the only one right off the top of my head that I can think of, and I'm sure you have, uh, as, as you're listening to this, will come up with some other names, but Dwayne Kuyper, uh, who briefly was an analyst on the, on the Rockies broadcast back in their very early days in 93, and has been the outstanding television play-by-play voice and immensely popular in Northern California with the Giants. Of course, Kuyper had a very nice big league career, and he's coupled with Mike Kruko, who also had a very good big league career. In fact, Kruko was on with us a couple of months back. Uh, but uh, Kuiper has crossed over, and as a former player, he's doing uh, play-by-play now. There's others, uh, but those are the first two that come to mind, and and Dave has done it seamlessly, and now it's been well beyond 20 years that he's been uh, the uh, the voice of the Broncos on radio. So again, big thanks to Dave. Uh, I really had fun uh, catching up and, and chatting with him. As I, I said earlier, we usually do it in a Starbucks um, but uh, we kind of shared uh, things with all of you over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, before we get to my prediction on Alabama and Georgia, very quickly, Dan Reeves passed away, as you all know. And Dan is somebody that also I, I held in high regard, immense respect. I don't know if he you know, always got his due here in Denver with the three blowout losses in the Super Bowl and kind of a, an acrimonious end to a certain degree in his relationship at the time with John Elway, though I thought Elway came out and uh, was effusive in his praise and wanted people to understand the development of that relationship over time and the respect he had uh, for Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves belongs in the Hall of Fame. The number of Super Bowls that he partook in, whether as a player, as an assistant coach, and as a head coach. And I know he didn't win one as a head coach. He took Atlanta there. Uh, You know, he he coached uh, the team I've always followed, the Giants, for several years. But when you listen to, particularly this past week after his passing, players who played for him, whether it be a John Elway or a Shannon Sharp or so many others, they talked about Michael Vick. And I got a Michael Vick story here in a moment. They talked about Dan Reeves beyond who he was as a coach, that he was a father-like figure, that he really cared about his players. And, man, when I hear that, I kind of nod my head in approval. And that, from afar, is the person I saw. Quick Michael Vick story. Dan was now the uh, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, and uh, I was working at Fox at the time, and I went in to do a a television game, the Falcons, and I can't even tell you who they were playing. And we go into Dan's office on, I believe it was probably on a Friday, and we sit down and, you know, you know how coach's office, head coach's office are, are immense and and uh, he said, hey, fellas, you got to check this out. And that drawl from America's Georgia. Before we even started tra- talking about personnel and game plan and that sort of thing in preparation for the broadcast on Sunday, he said, you got to check this out. And he had a, he had a big monitor, kind of computer monitor that he could swing so we could see it uh, from his desk. And he showed us tape of the prior day's practice. And Michael Vick was a young quarterback. I believe it was his rookie year. And he said, I've never seen anything like this, maybe, maybe since Elway. This is the only guy I've seen who could do this. And Michael Vick, he shows the, the particular play to us. Michael Vick drops back. You know, Michael Vick's left-handed. Drops back, and he gets flushed at practice to his left. And now he's like 15, 18 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he's outside the tackle box to the left. And he clears the uh, rush somehow, plants his foot, and throws the ball like 75 yards in the air to the far 
right sideline for a touchdown in practice. And the guy he threw it to was open by about five or six yards. And Dan chuckled. He said, yeah, he goes, the DB just gave up on the receiver thinking, well, I don't have to cover him anymore because there's nobody, it's it's not humanly possible to throw the ball from where Vic was to where the receiver now was, except Michael Vic, and I'm, and I'm sure John Elway could have done it also, but Michael Vic did it. And I remember Dan, you know, he's, he was kind of like a proud father beaming ear to ear saying, look at look at what, uh, you know, this kid could do. Uh, I always remember that story. But uh, Dan belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I wish it could have come while he was still with us. But I hope one day we're talking about the induction, I think we will, of Dan Reeves into Canton. All right, before we get on out of here, Alabama, Georgia for the national championship. Well, 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 we haven't seen Alabama there in a while, have we? We know what happened in the SEC championship game. Georgia, who was favored, Georgia, who was unbeaten, Georgia, who had the immaculate season going, was handled by Alabama. Well, both teams played exceptionally well and had more or less blowout victories in the semifinal game over uh, Cincinnati and uh, Michigan, respectively. When you look at the numbers, the stats, both teams were prolific offensively. I think Alabama's averaged 41 plus points a game this year and uh, Georgia right behind them at 39 plus points a game. Both teams can run the football. Both teams have thrown the football. Both teams bring great defenses. These are the two best teams in the country, without question. Georgia has the number one defense in the country, and and they got pushed around against Alabama the first time. And people say, well, you know, they're going to learn from that. Kirby Smart, it's his turn finally. He's 0 for 4 against uh, Nick Saban since he left Nick Saban. And I know signs point to Georgia in round two winning this game. They're favored. And I can't, I, I, I won't be surprised if they win, but I cannot get myself to pick against Nick Saban in Alabama. It's kind of like, how many times are you going to be foolish enough to pick against Tom Brady? How many Super Bowls does he have to win? How old, doesn't matter how old he is, right? He just wins. He just wins. You're a fool to pick against Brady, and you're a fool to pick against Nick Saban. So somehow, some way, in what I think will be a really good game, unlike the semifinal games, which unfortunately turned into utter bores, I think it'll be a great football game, and I like Alabama. All right, we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it next week. Appreciate your time. As always, tell your friends, tell your enemies to... uh, Subscribe and download our podcast. Check out the DNVR uh, folks as well. DNVR Rockies podcast with Patrick Lyons, as I mentioned earlier. Big thanks again to my buddy Dave Logan. We'll do it again next week. Uh, Happy New Year once again, everyone. And uh, stay safe, stay well. Talk to you in a week.